0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Ty Burks, the founder and CEO of Players Health. Players Health is a risk services and insurance firm that protects athletes and sports organizations with a risk management platform. They just raised a $28 million round that was co-led by Andre Iguodala's Mastery Ventures. So Ty and I discuss his background, the current state of youth sports, raising the $28 million round, and more. I really hope you enjoy this episode as I had a lot of fun recording it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by WHOOP. WHOOP is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, WHOOP gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app, there's also a ton of coaching features within it, like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Woop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And WHOOP is now offering 15% off their new WHOOP 4.0 right now with the code JOE at checkout. Go to WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter JOE, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with WHOOP. Next up is underdog fantasy, the easiest and best way to play fantasy sports. Join a league and draft a team in minutes. They make it that easy and, yes, that simple. But if you'd like to spice things up, try their new pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile app. Just pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. Go to underdogfantasy.com and use code POMP. That's P-O-M-P, POMP, and get your first deposit doubled by Underdog today. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments.
1: You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This
0: podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, I'm here with Ty Burks today, who's the founder and CEO of Players Health, super fascinating company that I recently learned a little bit about. They raised some money, they're having some success. I have a million different questions to ask you, Ty. I want to understand much more about the business, kind of the problems that you guys are solving and so forth. But maybe the easiest place to start is with just a little bit of your background, where you come from, how you started this, everything like that. So people have a little understanding.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me, Joe. Just a little bit about myself. I started PlayerSelf about seven years ago. I'm originally from the south side of Chicago and sports has been everything. It's been part of my life since I could remember. And I realized very early on that like, had I not played sports, I just don't know where I would have ended up in my life. And it was a safe place for me. I grew up in a place where safety was a luxury, so it's really important to me. And when I continued to play, I played in the Canadian Football League for a while. I played in Europe, but throughout that entire time, I had a ton of injuries. I got three bulging discs in my neck. I ended up tearing my hamstring off my tibia. And, you know, when I decided to hang it up, I actually started to volunteer at my son's sports programming, he was playing baseball, basketball, everything. And when I started to look at kind of the landscape of youth sports, like the prioritization of like health and safety of an athlete had not changed since I last played. That neck injury I had when I was 16 and my coach thought I had a stinger, I'm back in the next position. And I just realized that coaches and individuals that may not have the expertise were still making the decisions around kind of the overall well-being of an athlete. So there weren't any like tools and resources in the way of supporting organizations with creating that safer environment, whether that be injuries or whether that be abuse prevention, compliance. And so that's how we got started. We started as a risk management company. Insurance was never on the thought process in the beginning where we created a health management application to ensure that organizations were following specific protocols around how they return an athlete back to play. That's where it started. And then we started to think about risk management more, more holistically. So abuse prevention, everyone knows Kind of internationally, that abuse is prevalent in sport, and I think we just got tired of seeing organizations, or it just seems as if these incidents happen all the time, and we got, we almost got numb to them around, you know, the, the the abuse incidents that happen in youth sports on a day-to-day basis. So we created an abuse reporting platform that allows any athlete, coach, or parent to anonymously or privately report an abuse incident, and then we ultimately set up an investigative arm that actually investigates these incidents on behalf of the sports organization. And so we all know what it looks like if an organization is trying to do those investigations internally. We want to be the third-party resource to help these organizations make good decisions around how they manage this. And so that was the better part of about the first four and a half years of the business. It started with the mission to create the safest environment possible for athletes to play sport. And then about three and a half years ago, we launched an insurance arm of our business. And really the idea of that came out of We have the largest injury database in youth sports. We're managing abuse incidents at scale. We understand this risk better than most. And I think over the course of the past five years, the insurance landscape in sports has dramatically changed. There used to be about two dozen carriers that supported youth sports around liability. So their general liability, just an accident, DNO, crime. So the commercial aspect of insurance, now there are only about a handful of carriers that are supporting youth sports. For long-tail risk like abusing and concussions. And so because we had all this information, we decided to use that information to better underwrite and price risk. So we created a brokerage and then we set up an MGA or an underwriter inside of our business where we're now the fifth market in the marketplace and the company's been really growing. Our first institutional financing, we had about 350 sports organizations. Today we support over 45,000. And so the growth is really happening. I think we're meeting a, a really strong need the marketplace, but this has been a labor of love over the course of the past few years.
0: I love it. That was awesome. Thank you for that. That was a detailed description. And yeah. I think what would be helpful is like to level set for a second, right? And I want to, for my own sake, not necessarily even the audience, just like dumb things down to the most basic level I can think yeah. right? So maybe what would be helpful is if I can just pretend, like we'll use an example. So I'm a sports organization. I'm a youth sports organization. I play Pop Warner, right? So football growing up, you're 10, 15 years old our organization in what we'll call Players Health 1.0, the version for the first few years, you guys would work with us and you would help us do risk management, right? So you would make sure that if I got a stinger, I wasn't going back on the field, or if I got a concussion, I wasn't out there the next play. Is that correct? Or is there another way to think about
1: it? That's exactly what we're doing.
0: Okay. And then version 2.0 or whatever you want to call it is essentially now you're giving insurance to these organizations. So if an injury does happen, they're protected.
1: Right. And see, it's almost like a drive safe program for sports organizations. The more they engage from a risk management perspective, the the more affordable insurance and their risk management program as a whole become.
0: Gotcha. So if I'm an organization that is very careful and have a track record of having good risk management, basically the insurance relative to what you would see in car insurance is not only a better rate, but there's much more options and so forth.
1: Exactly. And I think one of the things we decided to do that was really different with what was going on in the marketplace is that everything that required, everything that we sell is a must have. So organizations have to do background checks on every coach. They have to go through abuse awareness training, concussion training. When they buy a policy from us, those organizations get all of that either at cost or for free. So we can guarantee savings, not on insurance, but we can guarantee them savings on everything else that they have to buy. That other organizations that are competing with us may, be, may have a margin on top of that. We decided we're not going to make money on background checks. The same background check that our organizations paying $20 for, they get $9.50 with us. And so that's just an example of ways that we are using kind of the economies of scale that we have to make sure that these organizations have access to these resources. And that's not an economic game for us. In that sense.
0: Gotcha. And one of the things that I like to, to ask questions about and talk more about is just going from zero to one, right? Because I think that a lot of people are interested in entrepreneurship in general, but specifically people that watch this show and maybe thinking about either starting their own business or have started their own business or just interested in it. So I'm curious, like, how did you go from zero to one? Right. So you you mentioned earlier that you were a parent, you were volunteering on the youth level. And then basically you start this company that's now selling insurance to all these programs. So talk me through kind of how you you went about launching the business and actually acquiring those first partnerships.
1: It's a really interesting journey. I think I was fresh from playing football. I didn't know, I didn't know how to run a business. I wasn't a technical founder or anything at that point. And the first few years were really rough in the sense that I had a it was a huge learning curve for me. My first initial contact was really through personal relationships. I connected with my sports agent. Actually, when I decided to hang it up, I was playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I just tore my hamstring off my tibia. Of course, my agent was the first guy I called to tell him I wasn't gonna come back. And he thought I was nuts. Like, I was 24 at the time, considered to be in the best shape of my life at that point. And he was like, well, what are you, like? why are you making this transition? And I was like, I wanna work on this idea. So he was like, man, tell me the damn idea. Like, I wanna hear what this is. And I told him, and he was one of my first investors. So he matched me dollar for dollar. Both of my parents are deceased, so I had a little bit of money. I always tell people I made more money trying to play football than I did playing football. So I had a little money saved up and that. I invested in the first MVP version of my app. So I went to a development firm, and I started to have a bunch of relationships and conversations with sports organizations. I started talking to my coaches, administrators. These were all people that were, they, they were just like me. So Everything felt really natural from a sales perspective, but in terms of product development, huge learning curve. I made a million mistakes along the way, but luckily I was able to get a product to market about two years after that. Got my first sports organizations. It was a Noble School Network in Chicago, and that was about 10,000 athletes. That was my first client, and then, of course, it's been a journey ever since.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious. I assume, right, when you hear youth sports, it sounds massive. Everyone knows that every city, every town, every county has a youth sports organization or multiple youth sports organizations. How big actually is this market, though?
1: Oh, it's massive. So there are over 400,000 sports organizations playing in youth sports today. There's over 60 million athletes playing youth sports. So we're talking 18 years of age on down. Just to give you an idea of the amount of insurance premium that goes through youth sports every day. It's over $8 billion of insurance premium produced every year. And so when you think about kind of talking about the contraction of the market, when you go from two dozen carriers to down to about a handful, you went from like super competitive where you could get five or six insurance quotes to now organizations are only paying what they can get. And so this is really why what we're providing employer health is so important because without insurance, these organizations don't exist. There's not a kid on a court field or ice without insurance. And Insurance is directly correlated with with the registration that parents pay. It makes up about 20 to 30% of the registration that parents pay every day. So if insurance premiums go up, which they are, they're up about 45 to 50% right now. When those go up, it's directly correlated to what parents have to pay, and it comes down to access to support. And so our focus is really to make sure that these organizations have accessibility to sport by making sure that one of the largest costs is affordable to them long term.
0: Gotcha. So one of the big problems, right, is that when insurance premiums go up, it makes the participation rates probably go down because expenses are higher for the average
1: parent. Yeah, there's a component to that. And I think just cost in general, the youth sports market is dramatically changing. When you think about what it used to look like, probably when we were growing up, 80% of youth sports was recreation. So- you pay, you're paying a little bit for your kid to play sports. And the only 10% was competitive, kind of high cost. It's exact opposite now. So 80% of sports now is competitive, pay to play. And accessibility is extremely low on the recreation side because it costs more to put a kid on a court field of rights.
0: Gotcha. And maybe just talk through your business specifically, whatever you're willing to share. Obviously, I don't know what's sensitive, or what's not, but just so people have an understanding of like, how big the business is today, and where you guys are at.
1: Yeah, so we we had our first institutional financing was about two and a half years ago. We raised about $4 million. And since then, the company's to date has raised over $40 million. We support over 45,000 sports organizations. And in terms of the number of injuries, hundreds of thousands of injury reports, we're seeing tons of incidents on the abuse side, fortunately and unfortunately, that we're a resource that we can step in with these organizations. And we're doing tens of millions in premium at this point. And so I think a big focus for us, and that's up from, you know, a year, two years ago was when we first lost our brokers. We did a million dollars of premium. Last year, we were shy of 10 million. This year, we'll be doing tens of millions in premium this year. So the, the, the rate of growth for players health has almost been astronomical over the course of the past couple of years.
0: And when you look back two and a half years ago, I guess, was the first institutional fundraise. And then you guys just recently raised twenty eight million dollars from from Mastery and a few other folks. What is the difference? I'm assuming it was much harder to raise money the first time? Just talk me through like what the conversations were like if people understood what you were attempting to do, like how much faith people had in you et cetera
1: honestly that that's probably what I call the billion dollar question in the sense that like my fundraising journey has been long and I've talked with over twelve hundred investors, four hundred of those investors told me no to my face you know I've had multiple investments kind of fall in, but the first four million dollars that we raised was hands down, the hardest capital that I've raised because I was starting in net new. I had started in a traditional business, what we started out as risk management, and then we pivoted to insurance. And here it is, a guy that doesn't know anything about insurance is now stepping into one of the most regulated environments in business to focus on what is a massive issue with player's health. But I think one of the biggest differences of what we do and what we've been able to do to set ourselves apart is that how we started as a brokerage in the beginning, nothing about players help would be differentiated but because we started with risk management in mind we collected all of these incidents we we manage all of these abuse incidents we understand the risk better than anyone in the space because prior to us the insurance carriers were looking at previous 10 years of claims going hey you're a good organization we actually understand what's happening on a day-to-day basis that data helped us with our subsequent rounds of financing and so once we start to prove out the model, we did a million dollars in our first year doing business. Somebody that doesn't know anything about insurance was able to grow at that rate. And then we did a really quick follow up and continue to grow the business. I think it shows that with enough commitment and a mission focus around, around growing your business, you know anything is possible. And I think that's what we've been able to do here so far.
0: What made you guys pivot to the insurance part? right? I I know you said you started out as on the brokerage side and then you pivoted. Was there a specific incident or was the business just not going as well as you had hoped? Or did you just see an opportunity?
1: Honestly, I almost sold the business. We were struggling at that point. I realized that sports organizations or youth sports organizations, they don't spend tens of thousands of dollars on risk management software. They only spend money on must haves. So I realized a couple of years into the business that I had not become an administrator. I didn't even know what administrators, like I didn't know what kept them up at night. What were the biggest pain points they had? And so I actually sat on a youth association board for a number of years at that point. And during that time, our insurance premiums doubled. You know, we were paying about 20K. And in one year, we're from 20K to 40K. And I'm going, well, how the hell are we paying more when I implemented all of these protocols that our organization is doing? And our broker was giving me kind of the same spiel that, you know, most brokers will share, which is, hey, the market is responding to social inflation, abuse, and concussion and carriers are leaving the market. So yeah, rates are going up. And that's when I decided to kind of start digging into what was happening in insurance, because I realized we had all of this insight. We had all of this understanding around what made a good organization from a risk perspective. And if we were able to give visibility on risk, it could be pretty special. So I I presented the idea at this conference called OnRamp, and the response was just insane. And from there, I went from about to sell the business for a few hundred K, to being offered $3 million for the business. And I end up turning down that acquisition and continue to build and grow from there.
0: <laughs> that That's a pretty good turn of events there, if you have to ask me. I love it. So I want to talk a little bit about just the transition from athlete to, to operator, right? As the CEO and the founder of the business. What's been the hardest part, right? Because you, you mentioned earlier, you didn't have experience in this role. You didn't know how to necessarily lead an organization. You didn't know how to be a founder, right? And there's not necessarily a playbook that works for everyone. Has there been anything specific that you've looked at and been like, ah, I wish I would have done this better. or I didn't realize this was going to be like this. Or just talk me through kind of your journey a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think if I were to go back and kind of do certain things differently, I would have waited before I raised capital. That would have been the first thing that I would have did. I I think I went to market too quick without having key assumptions in my business model. And then it made for a rough road when I had set a precedent around how we were going to make money when I really didn't know what the business was going to be long term. And so if I could go back, I would have been more patient, ran more of kind of a lean startup methodology around proving out the business model with kind of a small MVP, you know, without raising millions of dollars. Because that was one of the things that I was able to do successfully in the beginning is that I know a lot of founders struggle with fundraising. In the beginning, I was able to get a couple million dollars in the business. And then I was pivoting along the way, trying to find a, a viable business to grow. Before I had real key assumptions, actually like, set in stone. I didn't really understand what this business was going to be. Do you think the
0: funding made you move almost too fast? Is that what you're essentially saying?
1: Absolutely. And it put me in a position where I couldn't take swings and fail. Because I scaled the business and was able to raise this capital with this thesis, I actually was more bullheaded on that thesis than I would have been had I actually waited to fundraise And then I would have actually been a bit more experimental with my business model. But because I raised $2 million and I was like, this is how we're going to make money. Pivoting was a lot harder. Once I already set the ship in that order.
0: It's funny because it's almost confirmation bias to some degree of you have this idea in your mind, everyone that has ever had a great idea for a startup. The second they start doing it, they're like, this is the best idea ever. It's like those curves, right? Where you're going up and you're like, I know everything. I know nothing. Okay. I know a little bit. Right. And at first you think the idea is fantastic. And I'm sure in your situation, you go out and you raise money and then that's confirmation, right? You're like, these people are smart. They're venture capitalists. They have money. They're giving me millions of dollars to go pursue this idea. It's gotta be a good idea. And then it doesn't give you the opportunity to sit back and look and be like, is this really the best idea? And I think that's interesting because I'm sure that's a problem that many people struggle with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you're on the hamster wheel, you're on it. Like you've now put yourself on a clock And that clock is not stopping until you either get to profitability or there's an exit. And we hopped on the hamster wheel a little too soon. Once you're on it, you don't have time to look at peripherals and try to figure things out. You're you're building the plane as you're flying and it's falling and you're just trying to hang on, really.
0: Do you think being a former professional athlete helped in any categories?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think my ability to be able to take a no and keep going. I'm super competitive. I want to win. And so I wake up every day to get the highest performance out of myself and my team. And I've been a part of a team my whole life. I think everything that I've done as a performer, professional athlete or just athlete in general, I've applied to building my business today. Also, like one of the things that I didn't kind of realize until later was that I could go in all in on my mission. I was really hesitant to be mission led when I first started the business because I didn't want to be seen as like this naive, you know, founder. That was all about kind of doing good, but I realized that like that's the only reason why this company's in the position that we're in right now is because every customer that comes in contact with us, number one, they know it's real for us, they know that this is authentic. Every investor, they see me go through the journey, they know I'm not going to give up, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm willing to change and mold myself into kind of what's needed for the business. So it's been just kind of being okay with, all right, we're going to be mission led, and and that's what's going to be that's what's going to lead us to our success as opposed to always having to have the economic game as my motivation. How many employees do you guys have today? We're just shy of about 60 right now. This time last year, we had eight. Wow.
0: Yeah. So incredibly fast growing. And the reason I asked that is because I had Mark Laurie, who, you know, he's an incredible entrepreneur. He's built many billion dollar businesses at this point. And now he owns the Minnesota Timberwolves with Alex Rodriguez, but they co-founded a venture capital firm called VCP, which is Vision Capital People. And one of the things he mentioned was building these businesses, he found out pretty quickly, similar to yourself, that the mission is so important. And when he goes to hire someone, he cares much more about the mission. He puts more weight in the actual person understanding the mission versus their skills and their technical abilities because he's a firm believer that you can teach a lot of those things versus at a startup like Players Health or like any of the other ones that he was doing, the person really has to believe in the mission for them to be a, a good employee and, and, and make the relationship successfully work. Is that something that you've experienced also?
1: Absolutely. Every, so one of, that's a cool thing that we've done. And it's really something unique to us that every individual in this company has their own personal mission statement. Now, this is our accountability tool. It allows for us to kind of be on purpose. So I'll share my mission with you is to create a world of love, acceptance, and safety for all through fearless and courageous leadership, having empathy and and using my voice. That is my personal mission statement. It it really keeps me on purpose. Am I creating a world of love, acceptance, and safety? And that's going to show up in my interactions with you and everyone in the company. Everyone in the company has their own mission statement. And that it's amazing to see how it allows everyone to, yes, there's this company mission statement we're all driving towards, but as long as that align with personal mission statements, people show up and they're willing to go through a bunch of things that most folks aren't. They're willing to learn and grow because it's not just, all right, I'm getting a paycheck, but it's because this company is pouring into me and kind of bringing the best out of me. Yeah.
0: I love that. And. $28 million is a lot of money relative, yeah. right? What are you guys going to do with it?
1: That's a key focus for us right now. There's some inorganic growth that we have. We just purchased a, an employee benefits broker. So there are some growth opportunities because we're operating in a really fragmented environment. There's some opportunities to really bring in certain capabilities that we're lacking and really round out our ecosystem. Because that's ultimately what we're creating and that these organizations could get all of what they need from a risk management and insurance perspective in one place. Talent. There's a war for talent today. And we want to bring in the best individuals to help us achieve and get closer to that mission. And then marketing and communications. I think our brand and everything that this company represents on a day-to-day basis, I always tell our marketing team. I was like, whenever we send something out, whenever someone engages with our brand, I want them to feel something. And there's a huge educational component. There's a cultural shift we wanna make in youth sports. And so there's a large investment that goes into that.
0: Gotcha. And one of the things I always like to ask of high performers, and I would consider you in that category, right? You're, you're the founder and CEO of a, of a big and growing and fast growing business. What is your daily routine like?
1: Well, I'm an early riser. So I get up about four o'clock in the morning and I pray, I meditate, I stretch. I'm getting older now. So I think bones are starting to crack a little bit. <laughs> I work out roughly about six days a week. And then I'm in the office by about 730. You know, and then at that point, My day is pretty packed, so I'm still really sales focused and and I'm accessible to the team, at least for right now. I know that that's changing really quickly, but we're hiring anywhere between, you know, seven to 10 to 15 people a month. And I'm still interfacing with every last one of them as they come in. And I'm going to I'm doing it to the point in which I can't. And we're now getting to that pace of growth where I'm not going to be able to interface with everyone. But a lot of my time right now is really in sales you know, developing our people and really kind of thinking about the next, you know, fundraise and, and and relationship building that we need to have from a partnership
0: perspective. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things when I talk to people that are in similar positions of you, it's that, that give and take where they have to start kind of loosening up a little bit with the interpersonal relationships of every employee, right? Because as a founder, especially when you're a smaller business, like you said, you were under 10 employees last year, like it's much easier. When you get to 60, when you get to 100, when you get to 150, it's not as easy to interview every single hire. It's not as easy to make sure everyone's doing as good and comfortable and and well as they could be. Have you thought a lot about that and like how that transition is going to look for you?
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I feel like that keeps me up at night the most because, you know, we went very quickly from like a band of brothers and sisters (laughs) a year ago to, you know, we got a small platoon and I think, Our focus right now, and I know a lot of companies talk a bit about their core values and stuff, but we hire, fire, and retain and kind of grow and put it into our people based on these core values. Everyone is passed through that lens. Everyone is putting together their mission statement. And in our environment, like, like I had a really great conversation with one of our team members around just kind of like mental health. Everybody's going through a little bit of everything right now. And I think our focus is to try to make sure that we become a sanctuary for our people. The same environment we wanna create for these kids and that they come into a safe environment when they play sports. Like I have a responsibility to make sure that that's also present here. And it's on mission for me because I wanna create a world of love, acceptance and safety. I need to do that with the people in the environment that we have. So it allows me to be on mission every day. But yeah, that's where, it definitely something that keeps me up at night because we're growing so fast and not that we can control everything, but I wanna make sure that as we continue to grow, we don't lose our way.
0: Yeah, it's a a good problem to have, I'd say, right? But it's also a problem. It's difficult because people deal with it differently. Organizations can change and so forth. One more question for you. If we come back in a year or two years, whatever time you want to do this again, how big is this business? Like, wh- wh- what is your goal here within the next year to two years? I know you said that you have about, I think it was 45,000 sports organizations today. That's a pretty good start. You're at like 10% of the market based off of over 10% based off of the 400,000 organizations you mentioned at the beginning. How how much bigger does this business get in the next year or two?
1: Oh, well, our goal in that point is we'll be, my goal is to, in the next couple of years will be north of 100 million in premium. You know, we'll be, you know, in the 150 to 200 employee range at that point, and yeah, we'll be the resource for millions of injuries at that point we'll be managing, thousands of abuse incidents that we'll be managing, supporting tens of millions of athletes, and I think if we're successful, when you think about youth sports, we're not going to be in the conversation, and I think that's that's really the goal is that right now we're a new entry into the marketplace. Yes, we're growing fast. We're venture back. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. But if we're successful, like our presence in this space in terms of the impact we want to make will be unquestioned.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I know that you're obviously incredibly busy, not only with the the business growing so fast, but all the other commitments you have. So thanks again for doing this. And I'll have to take you up on that in maybe a year or two when you're over 100,000 organizations and 150 million to 200 million in premium. We'll have to do this again.
1: Man, I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to come back and share.
0: All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.